BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows firsthand how VR training platforms like ForgeFX can help meet the demand for skilled workers. Anywhere you go look, there's going to be a shortage of welders. VR training can help welding students learn the skills they need to begin and advance in their career. The beauty of virtual reality is it simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Explore more stories like Alex's at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Today's episode is sponsored by Oak Essentials. I am so glad and so happy that Oak Essentials is sponsoring RealPod because the first time I actually came across them, Max and I were staying at this incredibly nice hotel and something happened with our check-in. And so what they did to make up for it was they gifted us a box of Oak Essentials products fresh from their spa. These are the products that are being used in luxurious hotels is Oak Essentials. And then I got a facial the next day which consisted of Oak Essentials Moisture Rich Balm, which is this nutrient-rich balm that supports collagen production and delivers serious hydration for a luminous glow. And also their organic cocoa seed butter, which is exceptionally high in antioxidants. I mean, raw cocoa is shown to block free radicals while promoting the renewing collagen. It's the best of the best. And the facialist was absolutely raving about it. And so now to have Oak Essentials sponsoring RealPod is a full circle moment. This holiday season, get yourself or someone you love Oak Essentials. They are known for being the go-to skincare brand that creates radiant and glowing skin. RealPod listeners get 15% off their first order when they use code RealPod at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at O-A-K-E-S-S-E-N-T-I-A-L-S dot com. Oakessentials.com. Promo code RealPod for 15% off. Whether you're starting from scratch or filling in the gaps or gifting a loved one, Oak Essentials gives you one less thing to worry about. Treat yourself because you deserve it. Welcome to RealPod. It's your host, Victoria Garrick-Brown, and this is the podcast where we hold nothing back. Oh, so we're getting deep, huh? I really cried for 12 days straight. Why do I want to be perfect? There's nothing in my life that is perfect. Every week, I'll bring you honest, unfiltered, and eye-opening conversations to help uncover the real in all of us. I crave the type of content that you're talking about. I actually felt insecure. Oh my God, am I going to cry? Let me just unload everything. (laughs) (laughs) New episodes every Wednesday. Leave those filters at the door because it's time to get real. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Real Pod. I hope that your week is going great. And you know what's right around the corner is Thanksgiving. I can't believe the holiday season is already here. I really feel like Halloween didn't even really happen. I don't know. There's just, I didn't go to a Halloween party this year. There's not as much to do, but I'm kind of shook that we only have two months left in the year and things are coming real fast. Like, what? Thanksgiving is literally next week. And although it feels like the end of this year is flying by, the holiday season, it brings a lot, okay? And I really wanted to do an episode 
before Thanksgiving about food and body image and intuitive eating because I know that Thanksgiving especially can bring up a lot and I want to make sure all my besties that listen to RealPod are feeling confident and good to go. And who better to have a conversation with this week than one of the most iconic women in the space, and that is the one and only Evelyn Tribolet. Ah, I'm literally so excited. I have been wanting to have Evelyn on the podcast forever. I'm so glad it finally worked out. For anyone who doesn't know Evelyn, get reading, okay? Because she is one of the co-founders and co-authors of the iconic intuitive eating books. She is literally part of the duo with Elise Resch, who's been on the show. Love Elise Resch. And they were the ones who revolutionized and came up with intuitive eating. Their work has changed my life and it has changed the lives of so many others. Evelyn is a renowned and award-winning dietitian. She's been featured on Good Morning America. She's the best-selling author of 10 different books on intuitive eating. Evelyn is one of the main reasons why intuitive eating has grown and evolved into the important cultural movement that it is over the last 30 years. You're going to love her. She's a ball of energy and wisdom as well. So this is going to be a great conversation. And I hope you leave with lots of takeaways and things that will help you as you continue on this holiday season. If you need any further info on like the basics of intuitive eating or how to start intuitive eating, I have so many RealPod episodes on that. Literally just in your search bar, type in RealPod intuitive eating and there are tons. So I hope you love those conversations. I hope you love this one. Before we get started, I do want to give a quick shout out. This one is for Rocky. Hi, Rocky. Rocky left a review, gave five stars, said, hey, Vic, just listen to your loneliness episode. Oh, thank you, everyone. That was my episode last week. And Rocky wrote, as always, you are so relatable. And in you sharing how you feel, I already felt less lonely because one more person understands. I don't live in LA, so I can't offer to be your friend in person. (laughs) Oh, Rocky, that's so sweet. But I want to thank you for always sharing your feelings and realness with us. You've inspired me to also make the extra effort to hang out with people and give it a shot. Signed, Rebecca. Okay, so Rocky maybe is the nickname. Rebecca, thank you so much. I appreciate this sweet review and for you being vulnerable with me as well. And I'm so glad you enjoyed that episode. Thank you to everyone who's listened to last week's episode. Actually, sorry, my weeks are wrong. Last week was Dr. Mike Gervais, which is amazing. Listen to that. But the week before was my loneliness solo. Thank you so much. It means the world. And if any of you want to let me know how you're feeling or write reviews, please do, because it really makes my heart warm to read them. It helps the show out a ton. And you just might be the shout out on next week's episode like Rebecca. Well, without further ado, we're going to get started with today's episode featuring intuitive eating queen and founding mother, Evelyn Tribolet. Thank you so much for coming on RealPod. This is an honor. I'm a big fan of your work. I've had Elise on the podcast before, so now I Ah. feel like I'm completing, you know, the legacy here. So thank you. (laughs) Nice. Well, thank you. How is your day going? How are you? Oh, it's it's going pretty fantastic. It is a beautiful, sunny California day. I'm ready to go surfing tomorrow. That's the kind of day week I'm having. (laughs) I heard you're an avid surfer. Oh, I love it. I just participated in my first Halloween costume surf contest. No. (laughs) I had an epic fail. I was paddling out. A wave smacked me down, took my tutu to my knees. So you were surfing in costume. That's amazing. I was. Yeah, it was so much fun. It was really, that's all it was about was fun. So yeah. How did you get into surfing? Honestly, when COVID started and shut down all my things, I used to do tournament ping pong and other stuff. And I thought, I got to find something. So I started taking lessons and I have just been hooked ever since. And I'm lucky to live only about 
10 minutes away from my home surf break. So I surf every chance I get. Oh, that's so great. I'm really inspired by that. I think having hobbies is so important, especially Um, like in adulthood and trying new things. And I've been wondering if I should join like a rec sports league. I miss playing soccer. Haven't played since like I was in middle school, but why not? You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's fun to have a passion. It really is. I organize my vacations around it now too. So it's me fascinating people around the world. Yeah. Well, speaking of passions, obviously, as one of, I mean, can I call you a founding mother? We throw founding father around so much. I'm like, we that need. That sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the <laughs> fact that you and Elise together, you know, coined this term of intuitive eating, wrote these principles, have created, you know, the many books and teachings and courses that you have. I know has been so impactful for me as intuitive eating really changed my life. And I think for so many as well, you know, what led you to this work? Did you have an eating disorder yourself and battle with diet culture? Or was it things you were seeing in the field as a dietitian, nutritionist? You know, there's, there's a lot. The ma- I, I did not have an eating disorder, but I grew up with a dieting mom. And in fact, one of my saddest days was the day she was diagnosed with ovarian cancer, getting ready to have surgery. And we're having one of those heartfelt conversations past the tissues. She stands up, does a slow circle and an inventory of her body. And she says, all these years of dieting, what a waste. All I want to do is grow old. And to have that realization at that, at that point in her life. So she died, you know, three years later. But what really was the root of all of this is Elise and I was, we were just seeing so much suffering in our practices and the traditional ways in which we were taught wasn't working. And so we thought, you know what, let's go to the research. And I, and I am the research geek on the team. I get into the weeds because <laughs> I just happen to love it. We did that, considered our, our experiences and some other stuff going on just in general, major media, and came up with these 10 principles. And we got really lucky because originally this book was a book. I mean, obviously it's a book, but uh, it was just chapter by chapter. And our publisher said, you know, we love the concept, but can you break it into how-to steps? And so we broke it into 10 principles. And what was fortuitous about that you can measure 10 things. And so a scientist out of the Ohio State University, you know, basically said, hey, does it matter if you're an intuitive eater? So what? Can we measure it? It's like, yes, yes, yes. It, it really does a lot for your health and well-being. And so we can say intuitive eating, when we created it, was research inspired. And now fast forward almost 30 years later, there's almost 200 studies on our work showing a lot of benefits. And one of the strongest benefits is psychological well-being. And when you think about how much brain space diet culture takes up, even when you're not on any kind of food plan or dieting, but in your mind, like, oh, I should, I shouldn't. And it really robs you of your relationships. It disrupts you of, of self-trust. You know, anytime you're outsourcing your eating decisions to some influencer, some guru, some plan, you do so at peril at disrupting trust between you and yourself. And I think it's why I see so many people who will come in very, very smart and they'll say, you know, I can count the macros in a single P but I don't know how to fucking eat. I hope it's okay I said that. (laughs) Yeah, totally. Totally. All of that, it hits so hard. And that's something I think about often is like the amount of energy I used to spend thinking about what I could and couldn't eat, how much Mm -hmm. I weighed, what diet I needed to go on, how I needed to lose weight. And then when you are able to be free from that, it's like the beauty, the peace, like you use the word space that you have back. And that's a huge reason that I feel passionately about, you know, promoting intuitive eating is the peace it gives you to then actually enjoy your life. And yeah. I mean, even the other day, I was really struggling with these thoughts of weight loss. You know, we I think it comes and goes and you look in the mirror and you think, oh gosh, should I lose weight? And then I reminded myself, I want peace. I want peace more than I want 
to get into the cycle and hate myself and cry and then be at a war with food. And yeah. But it, it takes a while to get there. So you talked about the research. I want to dive into the narrative people have of like, someone would say, okay, let's talk about the research. You eat less calories, you lose weight, you look thin, you're quote healthier and you're done. That's what someone would say, right? So tell me all the oh, reasons why that lights you up. I do that. <laughs> so it's interesting. We, when we say research, we have to unpack that. Oh, well, how long was this study? Oh, it was only six months. We know from research, there's a body of research that shows that not only does dieting not work, it actually predicts more weight gain and more weight cycling. In fact, two-thirds of the people who embark on some kind of diet for the purpose of, of weight loss or changing body size will gain back more weight than they lost. It perpetuates weight cycling, which has an impact on your health, cardiovascular health, overall uh, health and, and morbidity and, and, and mortality. And it's profound that there's so much research showing this, and yet there's this idea of calories in, calories out, and our bodies are so much more complex than that. It's like, you know, if on a bright night, you look up at the stars above you, that's like every single little reaction that's going on in your body. And to think that we can outmaneuver our biology, our body is so smart, we are wired to survive famine. And so when we cut back on our eating, you get to a point where you start obsessing more about food, having more cravings. And at some point, quite often, there's lots of control eating and there's nothing wrong with you. That's an example of your body working. It's no different than if you were to hold your breath for a really long time, <gasps> hold your breath a long time, eventually you're going to pass out and your body's going to make you breathe again. And the same thing with eating. If we look yeah. at that, that when you restrict your eating, it's like restricting air and you restrict your eating, you're going to inhale the food at some point in time. And it has nothing to do with willpower. It's just biology is incredibly, incredibly strong and it affects us both mind and body. And unfortunately, famine has existed ever since people have been on this earth. So our bodies are very, very good at conserving energy when needed as well. Today's RealPod episode is sponsored by Cozy Earth. I sleep in my Cozy Earth sheets and pillowcases every single night. They are seriously the softest and the best. I have been religiously using Cozy Earth for over two years now. I originally had got these like really expensive, like classic sheets and they were fine. And like you convince yourself they're fine because you spent all this money on them. And then Cozy Earth sent me their sheets. I'm not kidding you. I opened the package. I felt them and I was like, done, never going back. And they were so much more affordable. Cozy Earth was also named one of Oprah's favorite things in 2018. I mean, love that. It's one of my favorite things now. And you should explore CozyEarth.com for the latest in bedding. From cashmere blends to timeless textures, they've truly got it all. Cozy Earth is also temperature regulating, which means it will keep you cool and comfortable all night long. I know Max absolutely hates overheating at night, so sleeping in sheets that are temperature regulating is game-changing. CozyEarth.com is your destination for the softest, most luxurious sheets. And Cozy Earth is providing an exclusive offer to RealPod listeners, and it's up to 40% off site wide when you use the code RealPod. I mean, that's up to 40% off site wide when you use the code RealPod. I mean, that's like one of the best offers we've ever seen on RealPod from a sponsor. So do not sleep on that. Head to CozyEarth.com and use code RealPod for up to 40% off site wide. And trust me on the sheets. I want to take a quick second to talk about Element. I love Element. I've gotten my friends hooked on it. I've caught Max hooked on it. My parents 
I'm hooked on it because it is literally the best. I mean, whenever I'm feeling fatigued, low energy, achy, headaches, depleted energy-wise, I don't hesitate to grab Element, specifically the raspberry flavor. It's my absolute favorite. Whenever we're getting close to being out of raspberry, I restock because it's the best flavor in my opinion. Although I love the citrus flavor and I love the orange flavor. There's so many good flavors. There's eight flavors, actually. And if you want to try all eight flavors, stay tuned because I'm going to give you a special offer. Element is a tasty electrolyte drink mix. And electrolytes are so important because they facilitate hundreds of functions in the body, including the condition of nerve impulses, hormonal regulation, nutrient absorption, and fluid balance. An element can help prevent and eliminate headaches, muscle cramps and fatigue, sleeplessness, and other common symptoms of electrolyte deficiency. That's why I love drinking element. I really feel it kick in and work, and I reap those benefits. Right now, Element is offering RealPod listeners a free sample pack with any purchase. That's eight single-serving packets for free with any Element order. This is a great way to try all eight flavors, like I said before. So get yours at drinkelement.com slash RealPod. This deal is only available through my link. You must go to D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com slash RealPod. Something that is so important to hit on that you talked about earlier was mental health and just the fact that when people think about dieting, they're thinking about like physical health completely. And my mental health was at an all-time low when I was the skinniest I'd ever been or when I had a visible like four pack on my abs. Like, But I was miserable and I didn't like myself. And my mental health is better when I allow myself to have dessert and have a bagel and eat more holistically. And it's it's such a thing that people overlook. Yeah. Yeah. And, and basically... Your life satisfaction improves incredibly. You know, I, I can't tell you the amount of time I've worked with people, and I'll ask them to take me through a, a day when they're really steeped in diet culture, and they'll talk about, you know, going out to dinner with a friend or a loved one. And instead of really being in that conversation, they're calculating. They're calculating macros or how they're going to compensate or what they're going to do the next day or what they're going to. They're missing out on the conversation. Their body is there, but their mind has left the table. And so it really disrupts that kind of connection. And I've had people say, oh my God, I got my girlfriend back or my wife back or my partner back when they finally let go of diet culture. It has a lot, a lot of impact on the quality of our life and absolutely on our mental health. It's, oh my gosh, I've never really thought about this, but as you mentioned that example, my current husband, my current husband. <laughs> well, you got some plans for uh, another? <laughs> no, but I think my husband, Max, who hopefully I have forever and ever and ever, but I meant he's currently my husband. At the time of this story, he was my boyfriend. That's where my brain oh, was going. There we go. Makes complete sense now. I'm not worried anymore. <laughs> yeah. I remember we were just starting to date and we went to the gas station across the street and we got like, you know, a pint of Ben and Jerry's and we brought it back to watch a movie. And I cannot tell you what movie we were watching. I can't tell you what day of the week it was. I can't even tell you like how that night ended because all I remember is sitting there thinking, all I want to do is grab that pint of ice cream and eat the entire thing. And I wish he wasn't here because now I can't eat it. And it's like, I'm sitting there thinking, should I grab another bite? Is he going to think I'm eating a lot? I'm not allowing myself to have ice cream or foods like this. So I really, really want it. Like, all I was was in my binge mind. I wasn't even yeah. there with this guy I was falling in love with. You were, yeah, you were in the deprivation mindset. And there's, from a research standpoint, they also call this the what the hell effect. And that is when people have rigid rules around eating for the sake of trying to shrink their body or keep it at, at the same, there's this paradox that ends up happening that something comes along to break their restraint. It can be a mood, it can be an event, it can be hunger, it can be the presence of food. And when that restraint gets disrupted, 
what the hell, and it becomes an all or none food fest. It's known officially science-wise as restraint theory, but its its nickname is the what the hell effect. And it, the way you just described that, you were I, I could feel the energy of, of what the hell. Like you said, instead of you know focusing, oh my god, I'm I'm here with the man that I love. It's like where's the ice cream? I wish he would leave. I want the ice cream. I want all the ice cream and, you know, all of that. And are you saying, just so I follow you, that it's the moment that you then break the restriction and you binge or it's the moment you realize you're tired of the restriction? So here's what it is. We just earlier talked about biological deprivation and how powerful that is a drive. There's a psychological deprivation. And so when you have these rigid rules and something happens where you finally break the restraint, that's when what the hell effect happens. And it could be because you're tired of it as well. There's all kinds of reasons that happens. And so if you have these rigid rules, and if you tend to think binary, all or none, it's like, well, I blew it. I might as well have another pint of, of Ben and Jerry's as opposed to what sounds good. And how do I want to feel? If I eat it now, am I going to enjoy it? All those kinds of questions go out the door because it's opportunity right now. I better get it now while I can because I'm never ever going to have it again because of my rules. Yep. Yep. That yeah. mindset is what led me into the cycle of the binge eating and the restriction. So when you and Elise sat down to think about these principles, we know what they are now and they're beautiful and they make sense and it feels like nothing was forgotten. You guys were looking at a blank slate of paper coming yeah. up with these principles. How did you even come up with them, you know, and and really make sure that you were covering all the bases? What was that process like? You know, we had a lot of con a lot of conversations and even some very passionate ones because we wanted something that was really wide and all encompassing. And so we were looking at many factors. And so Elise and I come from different professional backgrounds. And one influence I had that to this day still influenced me is I was on Julia Child's task force in which she was trying to get chefs and nutritionists to get along. <laughs> like, let's find some common ground. And we would meet once a month. And because there was no internet back then, we would hear Julia's voice coming across this big speaker phone. And it's like, wow, wow, wow. I never met her, but I'll never forget the experience. And what we all came up with is like, to the nutritionists of the world, for the love of God, would you consider taste in any recommendations that you're making? And to the chefs, <laughs> would you consider health? But that taste thing, so what ended up happening, we'd get together, but we'd eat and we'd enjoy the food and taste a variety of types of things. And so that became very influential in terms of satisfaction. And satisfaction, honor, you know, aiming for satisfaction when you're eating is very personal. And it's really the hub of intuitive eating. And it's kind of a balancing aspect because ultimately it's not satisfying to undereat. And ultimately it's not satisfying to eat past the point of, of comfortable fullness. And so to ask that question, what would be a satisfying meal? And I've had patients say, I have no idea. And I go, well, okay, let's step back a bit. What are some of your favorite foods? I don't know because they've been following plans for so long or they have a fear about a food that they love, but they never let themselves have it because they're afraid they're going to be out of control. So satisfaction is a place I often start with people because it's kind of fun. And for people listening, if you're kind of curious, that's something you can start uh, playing around with. It's so true, like not knowing what it is. And also, I remember thinking, oh, if I'm an intuitive eater, I'm going to eat like an entire package of Oreos. And then when I finally started to allow myself to have foods, I realized actually when I have like four or five Oreos, I feel so nauseous. I don't even think there's real milk in mm -hmm. these. Like I don't really like I like them, but I not as much as the binger side of me thought I did, you know? Sometimes what we're really craving is that excitement of the forbiddenness. And now we remove the forbiddenness. And for the first time, you get to taste it. I've had people say, oh my God, this thing I've been lusting over all my entire life is like, what? <laughs> yeah. Not and, a big deal. And is it your first principle is reject the diet mentality, reject diet culture? Yeah. So 
I want to get into that because that first principle is essentially, it is so hard for people. That is the gate. Like you have to really do that to enter the pearly gates of then the journey of intuitive eating. But I know people, I've met people, you know, and they cannot let go of this this desire to be thin, which I empathize mm. with, and I no shame to them for that, and I've been there. But rejecting the diet mentality, what does it really take to do that? I want to back up a little bit and say you don't have to be all in to start the journey of intuitive eating. It's really common, actually, to be conflicted. You want both. I want to be intuitive eater, and I want to change my body size. I want to be having no issues around eating and ease with eating and change my body size. <laughs> really common. And and I think it's important that we name that and not shame anybody because our culture is so weight obsessed, including healthcare. And so it's understandable someone has that desire. But the question is, can we come into intuitive eating knowing you have that desire and not act on it? The acting on it is what's really problematic because when you are acting on trying to change your body size, you are going external. How many calories? How many macros? What's the weight? da 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 Intuitive eating, however, is an inside job. How does this taste? What's my hunger level? What's going to be satisfying to me? Very, very personal questions. And we cannot connect with the messages of the body if we're constantly thinking about the external. And one of the main mechanisms of of intuitive eating that informs a lot of these principles is something called interceptive awareness. And that's our ability to perceive physical sensations that arise within the body. It's like text messages from your body. It's like, hey, I got a message for you. Hey, I got a message Mm -hmm. for you. (laughs) And but the thing that's so cool about it is it reflects states like having a full bladder. It affects, okay, it, it reflects hunger and fullness cues, but it also reflects emotions. And so when you're in touch with the messages of your body, you are in touch with ways to get into balance in terms of meeting your needs, both psychologically and biologically. But when you are at war with your body, you are not listening to that text message, let alone responding to it. So it's like coming home to your body. This is your home for the rest of your life. It's probably one of the most important relationships you have is with yourself. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. it's taking a hard look at how has being in diet culture and having this desire to change my body, how has that created harm in my life? And really looking at that, looking at relationships. Your ice cream story is really poignant. I've had people I've worked with who cry telling me how the wedding that all they are obsessed about dieting down for the dress, and then they were obsessed about they couldn't wait to eat. And not thinking about this amazing ceremony marrying the person of their life. Mm-hmm. That, that, gets, that gets robbed. And looking at what it does to your mindset, looking at what it does to when you're eating with other people in terms of judging and wanting to be whatever it, whatever it happens to be, it really messes you up. And coming to terms with the fact that diets don't really work. And so one of the phenomena, I think it's a phenomenon that I see, people come in all the time, oh yeah, I was on this diet, it really worked. Oh, I was on this diet, it really worked. And yet here they are. And so it's true to say that it worked temporarily, but it actually didn't work. Mm-hmm. And so I like to spend some time on that, that it worked temporarily. That's the seduction. That is, it's like a first love. First loves are easy. Oh yeah. And then <laughs> after that seduction of the first diet, you're trying to get back to the way it was. I just want to be the way it was. It was so easy, but your body's smart. It's like, well, we're not going through that famine again. We're going to protect you. We're going to let you be really hungry. I mean, we're going to, we're going to make you focus on, on food. And when you eat food, we're going to make sure you get some more of that. And then psychologically, your brain gets more focused toward food related kinds of things. And so one of the things Lisa and I are talking about is that if we didn't have diet culture, 
it wouldn't be so hard to reject the diet mentality. And we need to recognize we have a culture problem. If we didn't have a culture problem that worshiped thin bodies or created virtue by the way that you are eating, this would be a lot easier to work with. So I think it's important to recognize it's difficult, but but you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to be perfect coming into this. And intuitive eating is not rules. They're principles. And it's not pass or fail. You learn from it. Oh, you got too hungry and you end up eating intensely. What did you learn from that? You know, what, what might you do differently next time and looking at it in a really, really kind way. But a lot of people come into intuitive eating and unknowingly turn it into a diet. Oh, I didn't eat when I was hungry. Oh, I didn't stop when I was full. I blew it. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. What did you, you learn about that? And so I have patients who will panic. Oh my God, I ate too much at lunch. Da, 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 da. And I'll say, you know, rather than react and try to micromanage and compensate, which has usually been the pattern, let's see what your body wants to do. Let's let your body inform the next choice because you rob yourself of the experience to see that your body would have handled it. You might have been less hungry in the afternoon or at your, at your next meal, but you're never known because you micromanaged, you know, and decided to skip it or eat a salad and not have a real meal and all these other, there's nothing wrong with salad, by the way, but all these games that get played. And then when you're trying to, fake out hunger and fake out fullness, it creates a lot of confusion, which is why it can feel confusing about what to eat. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, when you tap into your natural wisdom that's been there all along, it's powerful. Powerful. You're so brilliant and infectious. Thank you for oh, all thank that. You. And thank you. For, thank you very much. Thank you for <laughs> correcting me with how I was describing it, because I think that is so important. And you know, I, I come from like an athlete background. And so I'm like, I want to master each each principle. And I remember too, even recently feeling like I've been eating a bit past being full and thinking I need to open up my book again and like get back to be a perfect intuitive eater. And I've been trying to ah. remind myself, that's okay. Wherever you're at right now in your life, you know, you, this is how you're wanting to eat. And we are having that dialogue of why and what can we learn? We can accept where we're at. Yeah. But I also wanted to ask you, Let's say people are following this and they're thinking, okay, yeah, I don't have to be perfect. But then it's almost like, and I feel this because I know this, they want to like burst into tears, but say, I I just hate my body. I just hate Mm -hmm. my body. And it feels like if I even try intuitively eating, I'm saying I accept my body and I don't love it. Well, and you know, it's the reason why, by the way, we have a principle called respect your body, not love your body, because we've had so many people that say, are you kidding me? I hate my body. <laughs> the idea of love for uh, being positive, they don't even relate. It's like, well, can we start engaging in acts of respect, respecting your humanity? And that's it's so important. I think an important thing to remember or to consider, we were not born hating our bodies. We came into this world not hating our bodies, but we get into this cycle of socialization where our, our uh, p- people who are close to us, people we trust, start instilling these little messages. Oh, you better watch out. Oh, you better, you know, all these kinds of things. And then as we get older and as these messages get more institutionalized, it's in our media, in our social media, we start having this belief that there's something wrong with my body. And a lot of people really believe, no, it's, it's, it's a me problem, but we need to understand it's a cultural problem. It's the water that we swim in. And if we didn't have this cultural problem, we'd have a lot less me problem. And Mm -hmm. what I find is it's really a a belief system that's transmitted intergenerationally. I will often ask people, and you can do this, I invite you to consider this, think about your own family, think about your parents, 
Think about your grandparents, aunties, and uncles. When you got together at family events, was there body gossip? Were your grandparents and aunts dieting? Like that's the way to go. So that's a value system and a belief system that's passed on, which is why you just can't say suddenly, okay, I love my body. Or, okay, I'm body neutral because this has been passed on in a really, really profound way. And it's important to give yourself the time and the space just to let it be whatever it is. It can be both and. I hate my body and I'm going to engage in acts of respect. I, there's part of me that really wants to diet and I'm sick of it and I'm going to pursue intuitive eating and have a more peaceful relationship with my eating and my body. And I, and I think that's hard for a lot of people to do the both and because we want all or none, black and white. You don't have to be all in. This place of ambivalence, it's not a lot of fun, but it's really normal to pass through that. In fact, even the health professionals that I train, many times, been trained in very traditional ways, not familiar with, with the weight science. And then, then boom, I, it's, it's like a fire hose, boom, 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 all this research. And they're like, ah. And so in this, they're in this place of cognitive dissonance. So, so now I say, expect it. You're hearing brand new information and trying to take that in and it disrupts your thinking pattern. And so part of it is an unlearning, you know, of what's true, what's, what's not true. And so one of the things I like to do, even when I'm into this research is let's take a look at how it's impacted you. What is the impact of being on these different types of diets and so on? And at what point are you going to let that go? You know, wait till you're 70. I had a woman seven years old still stuck in, in diet culture. And so one of the things I find that can be really, truly aspirational is this idea, you know, if you're ever planning to have a family or you do have a, a family, is this idea of ending the legacy of diet culture at your own kitchen table. Because it can be really daunting, this idea, we got to change the system. And it's true, we do. But it's daunting. But the idea that we can have an impact on our own family is really, really powerful. We can mm. stop the legacy right then and there and not perpetuate all this suffering. The transition from summer to fall is officially here. Okay, the crisp, cool air in the mornings, cozy sweaters to stay warm, and the switch out from your comfiest summer sandals to the chunky loafers you've been waiting to wear has come. And guess what? Vionic has the best curated styles to get you ready for this season. They have weather-ready boots for trips to the pumpkin patch, performance sneakers to keep you moving, rich leathers and suede for your favorite workwear booties or heels, and all of Vionic's shoes are made with their exclusive Viomotion technology. This is what truly sets them apart, and this is the reason that I love them so much. My feet are literally so flat. It is crazy. Max makes fun of me all the time. And so not only do I want support so that Max can stop making fun of me, but also because my feet feel so much better when I have a little bit of arch support in all my shoes. They don't cramp anymore. They don't get achy anymore. And I really think it's because of my incredibly supportive shoes from Vionic. I personally love all of their slippers. I think when you're walking around the house, that's sneaky when you're not having support for your feet and your body. And you'd be surprised how many hours you're inside as opposed to when you're outside. So get their slippers. And guess what? You can get 15% off your entire order at checkout when you go to www.vionicshoes.com and log into your account and use code REALPOD15. Okay, this is one-time use only, so don't miss out. Use code REALPOD15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at www.vionicshoes.com when you log into your account, one-time use only. And there's a 30-day guarantee return policy, so you got nothing to lose. So the funny thing about what I'm about to tell you is I literally just 
finished drinking it. I'm recording this in the morning, which means I just did my morning routine and the number one thing I do every single morning without fail. And even some of those days where I forget to do like some of the basic things, I never forget to drink my AG1 because it is so important for my body. It's become a part of the way my system works and it is so, so good for me. And it's good for you. It's good for everyone. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutrition supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. And since 2010, okay, a long time, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. And that's why I love them. It's easy, it's doable, it's super seamless. It's combining all of, you know, the many multivitamins you might be taking and putting them in one drink. AG1 is definitely the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why they've been one of my favorite partners for such a long time, years now. We need to celebrate our anniversary, AG1, okay? And if you want to try AG1, Get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Just go to drinkag1.com slash realpod. That's drink, D-R-I-N-K-A-G-1.com slash realpod to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. So check it out. We all, I think, can think about whether it was our moms or older siblings or comments from dad. You know, I I have these conversations with my mom about her getting dropped off at Weight Watchers when she was 12 because if she lost weight, she would get a puppy. Like, you know, and also too, I think we recognize it. And then if we can find the kindness to recognize that they weren't loving how they were acting and it's a projection and and not have this like, well, if they didn't raise me this way, I wouldn't have these problems. It's their fault. It's like, we're all in this. And so, yeah, how do we break the cycle? You know, I wasn't planning to ask this, but as you talk about it, it sounds like you're retraining people, right? Because they come up as a nutritionist in the classic kind of education that's versed in fat phobia and, you know, secret diet culture posed as (laughs) healthy, right? Why is that still a thing? Why haven't, like, whoever's in charge realized that you know, the research points to what you're doing and redone it. Like, is it because economically there's so much reliant on weight loss for the general public? I mean, it's such a great question. So I'll start first with the good news is that we're seeing a lot of health professionals moving in this direction. We now have people trained in 60 countries, which just blows me away. Because what happens is when you are in the trenches with your patients or your clients, you see the futility of dieting. You f- see the futility of these traditional methods. They, they cause harm. But the challenge is there's so many factors that are pushing this weight loss narrative. There are researchers whose whole identities are tied to their weight loss research. There are people who have jobs that are tied into just that. When you look at the role of big pharma and all the money coming in for all of these you know, injectables and so on, there's a lot of players here who benefit from having this message for us thinking that our body needs to be a project and mm-hmm. needs to be changed. So it's it's really, really complex. And so, you know, I'm not into blaming people. We can say, yeah, our, our, the way I was raised was certainly a, a, a big factor, but we've got our culture, we've got social media, we've got our institutions. You know, I will never forget one of my patients came in with a 
profound eating disorder who at the age of 12 was told by her pediatrician, you're one pound away from obesity. And boom, he body shamed her. And that began her descent into this horrible, horrible eating disorder. So this also comes not just from the culture, scientists and healthcare is part of that culture as well. So it's, it's big. It's a big thing to take on. That's why it's going to take many voices and many different kinds of organizations to, you know, unpack all of this and yeah. move f- through it. And unfortunately, it's, um, it's the same as so many other important conversations in the world, right? Well, they're linked. All, you know, forms of oppression are linked. When you look at the role of, of racism, anti-Blackness, and BMI, it is profound. And this is getting a little bit into the weeds, but I think it's important to say it. You know, if we look at the work of Sabrina Strings, who's an academic at a UCI, she wrote a book called Fearing the Black Body, The Racial Origins of Fat Phobia, and tying it all into bodies were hierarchied as a, a form of, of racism and classism. There was also religion and, and things that were put into this in terms of a purity. So the idea of having a smaller body actually predates healthcare. It's a cultural thing that we've seen over and over and over again. And it's and it blows your mind when you start looking at it that way, when you start looking at systems. And then when you start looking at systems and how they're all linked, yeah, it's kind of daunting. Yeah. I've heard so many good things about that book. I need to read it. I've been trying it's, to- It's a must read, honestly. Yeah. It really is. Okay, yeah. amazing. I'm going to put that on. I'm going to tr- trying to read as part of one of my New Year's new <laughs> resolutions. But speaking of relationships, people, commentary, pressure- when people listen to this, next week will be Thanksgiving. So any advice for the mindset as we approach eating, whether you celebrate it or not, I think the holidays elicit more unique situations where we're going to receive comments from family or friends. People are going to be seeing our bodies who might not have seen us in a long time. And we're going to maybe see a buffet of food if we're lucky to have that. I mean, it can feel really overwhelming. It is overwhelming. It, it really is. And so, you know, depending on the situation, sometimes even just setting an intention about what you want to do around this holiday, it could be simply being, uh, my primary reason of gathering is connection with my family members. And if we can keep that in mind, that can help center some of the things that we do. One of the things I'm, I'm big time into is enjoying the eating. What are the foods that really give you the most satisfaction? And I can't tell you the amount of people I've worked with that go into holiday meals starving. And so what ends up happening, you have this intense hunger and it doesn't even feel so good to be eating in a way when you have that kind of hunger. Then there's the whole family dynamics of, of comments and all these kinds of things. And so something, you know, if someone wants to be proactive, you know, they could send, they could have a phone conversation, a text message, or even an email and saying, hey, you know, I've been really working on healing my relationship, however much you want to say or not say, healing my relationship with my, my body and, and my eating. I would really appreciate if you don't make any comments on my food choices or my body. Is this something you can support me on? And so at least you're front loading it. And then, and then if you have to have a conversation in person, you can say, oh, remember, I, I really would really appreciate not, you know, but let's say you have somebody who, who's not going to respect that. Then the question is, okay, what do you need to feel safe? And, and how, how can you leave the conversation. Maybe you change the room in which you're eating. Maybe you come late and leave early to reduce your exposure. So, and also what kind of energy you have, do you have the bandwidth to set these kind of boundaries? You may or may not, depending upon, upon the relationship of the, of, of the individuals. Yeah. So it's, it's very complex. Yeah. It is so hard. I feel grateful that my family is super on board with like where I am at with food and I've been so open, but I kind of forget how, and maybe you feel this way, Evelyn, that 
you run in these circles now where everyone knows what you stand for, what you preach, you know, and you don't come across it as much as maybe most people do on the daily basis. And I find that when I'm talking to other friends or I'm hanging out with a girl group that I don't know and is my friend's friend's group, and then I hear it come up in the bathroom or through pictures, and I'm like, whoa, it's foreign to me because I've been grateful to kind of create this environment. Yeah. Yeah. And so sometimes too, you can even be thinking about, whoa, what do you want to do in these situations, if anything? And you know, it's funny, I have a very simple phrase I use over and over again. It's like, I don't look at food that way. I don't look at bodies that way. And so it's not, it's an I statement. It's not saying, how dare you? I'm not shaming the other person, but it's, it's, it's like saying, I'm not interested in this conversation without being mean about it. And I, I have some colleagues who like to add a lot of snark to the conversation. It's not my style, but if it's your style, <laughs> add the snark, you know? I love that. I don't look at bodies that way, or I don't look at food that way. I probably would want to say it with like no negativity, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I do think that that's powerful. Yeah. It can be tough to know, like, what do you say when someone says you're already going back for seconds? You know? <laughs> yeah. I'll say, yeah, I'm having a hungry day. Or yeah, this food's amazing. Join me. <laughs> you know, I, I will never forget this. I was at a retreat and we had a lunch break where we all went out and got lunch. And I came back with my food and I sit next to this guy. He goes, I can't believe how much you're eating. And I remember thinking, wow, if this is one of my patients, they'd have been mortified. I said, absolutely. Yeah, I'm hungry. <laughs> That's great. What was their reaction? You guys did. They just, oh, Okay. Yeah, because that's that's the thing. You don't know what that person's doing. You don't know what their activity level was or all these other kinds of things and making these assumptions. You have no idea. No idea. I feel like I have sometimes think that when people are really like passionately against like other people, what they're eating and their body being larger or whatnot, I feel like it's a secret like cry for help inside them where they're like, I had to go through this misery. I had to suffer this way. So I can't let you be happy and peaceful in that body because I work so hard to get this body and I'm miserable. So you know what I'm saying? It's like rooted in this. You, you're not allowed to be happy because I'm miserable. There could be some of that. And sometimes it could be like, it makes them feel superior because they're Mm -hmm. now standing on this kind of moralistic ground. And one of the things I think about is we don't know what's going on in their lives as well. Yeah. They could have an eating disorder as far as we know. And I'm not going to ever get into that at a family dynamic kind of thing, but there's some perspectives as well. Mm-hmm. But I'd be looking at how can you how can you stand your ground and not be affected by those kinds of statements? You know, oh, that's what my body wants. Oh, this is what tastes good for me. Again, those I statements. Oh, I got some big hunger going on today. I'm loving it. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I'm going to steal those. Go um, ahead. Take them all. As we get close to wrapping up here, I did want to ask you, how have you seen the evolution of this conversation over time change, morph, grow? Are you happy with where things are? Does it upset you that services like Noom are trying to claim that they're intuitively eating, but it's really versed in how to lose weight? Yeah. So, you know, it it gets frustrating when you look at the the misinterpretation of an intuitive. I don't mind constructive criticism, but the misinterpretation. I mean, there's like good news and bad news. The good news is last I looked, we have over 2 billion with the B hashtags on TikTok. That's cool. But with that kind of exposure, there's going to be misunderstandings around in intuitive eating. 
I'm mostly really just pleased at how popular it's gotten, both from a research standpoint and in the interest of healthcare professionals. That gives me really, really great hope. And, you know, Elise and I have really evolved in our our work. When we did the fourth edition of Intuitive Eating, we decided let's go back to the original writings and see if we still stand by what we said. And there are some places in there where we were actually wincing. And we decided to be transparent about it, mentioned it on social media. And it's like, you know, aren't we allowed to grow and evolve? And to my surprise, because I was, I was kind of wincing at the reaction we might be getting, but it was the truth. We got a lot of support, you know, around that. And where we are evolving right now is, you know, we're adding a social justice piece, you know, intuitive eating through the lens of social justice. And it, it came in a little bit into our conversation when I said, we have a culture problem. We have a systems problem. We need to acknowledge that because if we don't, it's going to be hard for somebody who lives in a marginalized body you know, they can think happy thoughts and do all the things, respect their own body. But when you have a culture that you don't feel safe in because of the size of your body or because of your gender, your race, and so on, it's a whole different experience. And we need to acknowledge that. So I think there's going to be a fifth edition of intuitive eating, honestly. And we're updating the intuitive eating workbook right now as we speak. And the thing that's so cool, at least I have these very passionate conversations, and we both know that we love intuitive eating and it's so important to us. And through these conversations, we end up coming up with something that we really, really feel good about overall. It's so awesome that you guys go back and you kind of call out where you could have been better, where you could grow. Yeah. I mean, I'm like, can we do that with the Constitution? <laughs> oh, right. Oh my God. I'm like, what? what? Yeah. I'm like, you guys are going back just like in your own lifetime, like to be better, like in your own adult. I mean, so I really admire that. And it. I'm Thank so you. glad that the reaction has been support. And once again, I'm just the biggest fan of you and all of the work that you've put out into the world. And I, I have the fourth edition. If a fifth comes out, I will pick that up. So thank you so much. And are, do you take new patients? Can people still work with you? You know, I, I, the answer is maybe <laughs> because I'm so booked. So you brought, you're probably better off uh, working with one of our certified intuitive eating counselors or with Elise. Okay. I love that this is where we're ending. What is the best way for someone who wants to do this and needs a professional or needs guidance? Is it to go to the intuitiveeating.org website and then look for the certified counselors? Yeah, we have a directory there for certified intuitive eating counselors. And you can look through all, we have over 2,200. And and that's the thing to keep in mind, that if you have a complex history, if you've got trauma in your history, you have eating disorders in your history, other kind of food insecurity, some of these steps might seem really, really scary. There's nothing wrong with you. You just need more support along the way. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a really good point. Okay, amazing. Well, Evan, thank you so much. It's been a privilege to speak with you. Thanks for coming on Real Pod, and I hope you have a lovely holiday. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Real Pod. If this hit home or helped you in some way, send it to a friend, a teammate, roomie, share the love, share the realness. New episodes of Real Pod come out every single Wednesday. So make sure you are subscribed to this podcast so you never miss an episode. To leave a rating or review of the show, head to iTunes and let me know what you think. I love hearing from you. Not to mention, you can stay connected with Real Pod throughout the week, seeing behind the scenes info and sneak previews of upcoming guests by following the at RealPod account on Instagram. All information about today's show and guests will be linked in the description of this episode. Thanks again for listening. I love you guys so, so much. Let's go dominate the day. And as always, keep it real. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.